Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to episode 14 of Career Move Secrets, and today's guest is Robert Gardner. Robert is the founder and director of Garwood Solutions. He has over 30 years' experience in professional services, where he has built, managed, and sold successful management consulting businesses. And in fact, today, he's an investor and a non-exec in several such businesses. Rob, how are you? Very good indeed. Good to see you. And you, yeah? How's uh, how's life in lockdown? Treating you well? Uh, No, uh, improving... uh... Proving very tolerable, I think it would be fair to say. Not too bad at all. Are you a master of the Zoom uh, interview scenario now? Are you, are you on it constantly like me? I am absolutely on it constantly, yes. It, it's, um, it, I don't know whether I've come to love or loathe it, but I've certainly come to become more, more proficient in it, I think it would be fair to say, in the last, uh, in the last what, eight, ten weeks now. Yes, it's the new normal, isn't it? You don't, you don't it, fly or travel, but you do Zoom a lot. Yeah, you certainly do. You certainly do, and well, you wave instead of shaking hands. We're just getting used to that as well. Yes, well, I, I, in fact, you know, when you when you do see genuine people, which has happened now, hasn't it? We we we've probably all seen another person. You you do wonder what you're supposed to do. Uh, you there's no shaking hands, obviously, uh, waving or you know some some other gesture is required. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, well, Rob, I know a, a, a fair bit about you because, you know, I've worked with you in the past. Uh, you've been a client of mine in the dim and distant, Indeed. and of course, but of course, uh, listeners will not know. Could you give us the um, the history and give us outline your, your career? Yeah, no, of course I can. Um, so very early career in uh, IT consultancies and a couple of different ones. Uh, and then in the mid 90s, uh, joined KPMG. Um, as a management consultant in the London practice in public sector. Um, and then in 2000, 2001, became a partner in that, that very practice and actually led KPMG's business in sort of national security and the justice sectors, uh, as well as leading teams in um, technology, uh, IT-related kind of uh, advisory kind of capacity. I did that until after the sale of KPMG Consulting to Asos Origin in 2000 and whenever it was, two, three, um, and stayed for about a year after that, did my kind of dutiful piece, um, having been one of the partners that took us across, although I wasn't one of the negotiation team, uh, you know, one felt a duty as one of the leaders of the business at that point in time. Um, and then actually in 2004, set up my own business uh, with a former KPMG consulting partner, a chap called Martin Wilson, the two of us formed Avail Consulting. 
which we um, unashamedly formed as a kind of KPMG mini-me. We were uh, pitching KPMG-style services at just below KPMG prices um, and actually had a very successful business for six years. Uh, we scaled the business hard. Um, we grew to just under 100 staff within six years, uh, focused on UK public sector. Uh, we recruited well um, and um, you know, we, we were able to execute a business plan um, remarkably in line with our kind of uh, expectations and projections. It was, uh, it was uh, phenomenal, really. Uh, but we took the decision in 2000, late 2009, uh, early 2010, to sell that business. And we sold that business to the Tribal Group. Uh, I joined Tribal uh, as an executive director. Uh, in fact, I joined the board and took over running all of their advisory businesses, a group of six or seven companies in total. And I did so for about 18 months until we, in fact, sold that group of businesses on to Capita in 2011. And I took that as my kind of cue to leave. Um, and actually, having had a little bit of time out for a bit of um, uh, decompression, I think was the expression I used, uh, standing up straight again after 20 odd years, 25, six, seven years straight through in professional services. I then actually joined the NHS and became a uh, became a trust managing director, uh, managed two not-for-profit, so serially, uh, not, not, not in parallel, but managed two not-for-profit trading organisations within the NHS construct, which was very interesting. And then the phone call came to go back to Tribal. And actually, I went back to Tribal initially as managing director and then as group chief exec, uh, running the retained businesses, which at that stage was a software and services business in education. So about um, 1,500, 1,600 staff around the world um, providing broadly software-based solutions, student management system solutions, and, and a group of kind of associated services with them. And I did that for three years uh, until I stepped down from that in 2016 um, and at that point decided to pursue the, the plural clear, which is um, kind of where your intro led us to. So I now sit on the board of three or four organisations, uh, all professional services firms of one form or another, as well as having founded Garwood Solutions, uh, which is an advisory business in the professional services sector. It's quite a career, isn't it? You've, you've uh, you know, you've obviously worked big for, made it to partner. Not many people do that. And then you've created your own business, uh, successfully built it, sold it, um, then taken on, you know, a, a very senior role within that business, you know, and, and, and managed a very large, very, well, in the end, a very large consultancy. And now you've got this portfolio Absolutely. career. Um, so you, you're probably one of the best place people i've i've talked to so far as a hiring manager because i'm imagining you know i know you've done plenty of it you you've probably done more than your fair share of hiring i've done a fair bit over the years yes it'd be fair to say yeah <laughs> what what do you tend to look for what what makes a good candidate in your view in the in the round um it's a really good question and i think uh yeah one of the things i would always say about the way i've hired is is that um i believe that uh you know both the hiring organisation and the prospective candidate need to have as much exposure to each other as possible. So I've always run a, a kind of um, a process where we try and minimise the visits that you would have to come and see us, but we maximise the content or contact time you have while you're with us. So kind of first visit, to, if, if I use my own company, Avail, as an example, you know, first visit would have been a touch point with probably two people, probably someone from HR and, and someone uh, from the consulting team. And that would be very much a kind of classical CV based kind of interview. 
Second visit to us would have been an assessment centre and then a, and what we then refer to as the kind of partner interview at the end of it. And the assessment centre would have given you the opportunity to meet a range of people in the business, but also a range of people in the business to meet you. So what are we looking for? Yes, we're looking for a kind of de minimis level of technical ability and skill um, in whatever we're kind of recruiting for. And there's a there's a kind of expectation. But actually what we're looking for is that little bit of kind of almost um, indescribable but un- indiscernible kind of talent that sits at the core of that, which is about your DNA. You know, it's about your values. It's about your behaviours. It's about what drives and motivates you. And, you know, certainly with Avail, we were looking to build a very kind of cohesive team um, and, you know, always subscribe to the kind of uh, bad apple kind of philosophy that, you know, one bad apple will will rot the barrel type thing. And, you know, so therefore we were really strong on what we refer to as the kind of values based concepts or components of that kind of interview process. On paper, that can be quite hard to come across. Mm. Um, Actually, it's something so. That first interview, we would interview an awful lot of people and we would sift a lot of people at first interview, probably more than a lot of organisations. But we'd have probably put a lot more people through to first interview than a lot of organisations, because actually, you know, part of it is about, you know, yes, understanding what people have done and their abilities. But it's also about then understanding their kind of, as I said, their, their kind of DNA, their makeup. And that that was a that's always been a kind of huge kind of element for me in terms of, you know, recruitment and, and and you know always thinking about how you're building a team not just how you're recruiting kind of one person yeah it's interesting isn't it you, you always think i always think the interview process and I, I completely agree with you it's it's a process um that's designed to give confidence on both sides Absolutely, um, and that's why it's you know sometimes it's elongated a little bit it's actually as much to give the candidate um the the security that they're making the right decision as it is for the employer um and it always should be two-way you know i always think if if somebody in the old days i can remember i think maybe once in my career somebody has has done one interview and then tried to hire somebody and that spooked the candidate actually they were like well i don't know enough i don't know enough about this company to make that decision so uh it is a process uh absolutely but one of the interesting things in there is of course in the process from our side as as an interviewer we're trying to get to the core of a person aren't we um yeah. and I, I often i often think on the other side the candidate depending you know, it's not everyone but some people are trying to hide that or 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 they want to show you what they think you want to see as opposed to what you really want to see which is who are you have you ever wondered how, how does a, a candidate display that dna from your point of view so I think um, so. So I think several things in answer to that, Tony. Actually, yeah. So 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 it's kind of first off is that that most people aren't able to maintain an act, as it were, over a prolonged period of time. So if someone's going to going to have two or three interviews or two or three meetings or you know at the Avail Assessment Centre, you know there was a written exercise, you know there was a presentation element to it. We use the presentation to get multiple eyes onto people and all of those sorts of things. People find people can't maintain an act for yeah you know, what would in many instances there would be like three hours or something like that. Mm. So you 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 do find people out if they are in fact actually trying to portray what they think you want to see mm. as opposed to their kind of real self. So it, it will come out. So I I I can in, in all of my career I can only think of probably one person 
that kind of fooled us for the whole of mm-hmm. yeah that process and quite frankly was found out within hours of walking through the door on the first day you know uh, and uh you know so it, it's not something that i think is easy to do you know what are we looking for we're looking for the for the kind of the 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 genuine person we're looking for the real kind of person that's sitting there not the nervous person you know we'll, we'll kind of uh, allow for that we're not looking for the um you know, the, the the person that's kind of overly kind of projecting or or trying to be that kind of you know character that they're not we're looking for the kind of genuine person and we're looking for for yeah i come back and use the same word again we're looking for the values that, that they kind of embody what do they you know what what motivates them you know what drives them you know what are they considered to be uh, appropriate you know behaviors and all of those sorts of things because you know in a consulting profession particularly you know, you are not quite left to your own devices, but you know you're not in a office environment with lots of colleagues all of the while. You know, even on client site, sometimes you can find yourself. You know, perhaps you're the only person on client site. Perhaps you are the person that's then kind of the representation of the brand of the company. And actually, part of that kind of interviewing for values, interviewing for DNA, is because actually everybody that goes onto client site is a kind of brand ambassador in that way. And actually, if you want to protect your brand, you've got to make sure you've got the people that can protect your brand. Um, and that that therefore becomes perhaps um, more significant in a kind of professional services firm context than perhaps in other environments. I don't know. I've done little recruitment in other environments. So much of it's been in professional services. Oh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's crucial. in. Prof- I've, I mean, I, 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 as you know, recruit mostly in professional services and I, I, I'm, I made that decision relatively early in my recruiting career because I thought, well, where's the space where the people are going to be so core that uh, they they actually drive the revenue and the profit of the business? And I couldn't think of one that was more, you know, appropriate than than professional services because you're essentially selling, you know, people their talents, their 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 abilities. So, uh, and that's you know, obviously wrapped up in your brand values and and all of those sorts of things. So. That, that 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 was why I I, I pushed into uh, professional services, but yeah, it is true. You know, in in other in other sectors, there is a um, you know a, a, also a a focus on that. I'm guessing you know in your process, they would only get to meet you perhaps at the end of uh, a process. Once they get to you, what's what's your style? What have you do any? What's your interview style? Do you tend to have a couple of killer questions you go to, or how do you tend to uh, approach the interview? By the time anybody was sitting in front of me in that process, w- we had broadly made our mind up. You know, so I was I was either going into that last partner interview uh, to do one of two things: either to kind of let them jam gently because we'd already decided that actually they hadn't made it through the process, and actually this was about making sure that you know we built friends in the sector and all of those sorts of things and actually people didn't go away feeling that they had somehow been let down by the organization because that's the last thing we wanted them to do um or i was going in to actually reinforce the sale of 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 the company in terms of you know why they should join us really and you know it it was obviously much more pleasurable to do the for the latter than the former but but actually it wasn't about killer questions when you got to kind of meet me or, or meet my business partner actually it was about you know either we are selling the business to you or we are letting you down gently one or the other and um, you know if we were selling the business to you 
then you know, yes, of course, we would do that. But of course, we also wanted to get you talking about why you felt you know our business could be a really good one for you as well. And and yeah, you know, we wanted to get you to the point where you know you were selling our business to yourself, as it were. You know, um, uh, and that was part of the dialogue that you'd have with me at that stage in the process. Yes, it's an interesting one. Isn't it? I always think of it as a two-way sales process, and and yeah. you know as you know doing what i do mostly headhunting people you're always having to sell the, the opportunity to them um but eventually once through the process once they've invested enough time and effort mental sort of uh, angst in it they start to sell it back to you and that's when you realize yeah, yeah. that they they've sold the job to themselves and um funny enough through these conversations i had another conversation with the ceo and it, it, his his answer was very very similar it was it, his view was he wanted to work out whether they had sold the job to themselves yep. well enough that that they that he didn't you know they they'd already walked into that meeting presuming they were getting the job and you know he didn't have too much work to do because they they'd already told themselves that they were going to get it and if if they could convince themselves it was very easy for them to convince him yeah yeah absolutely no i couldn't agree more very definitely yeah. Well, obviously, you know, we're in this weird situation. Consulting is uh, and professional services is, is, I'm sure, being affected as bad as as most places. I'm, I've certainly found a downturn in in you know my activity. You, yeah, you sit on you sit on you know you've got your own business on board of others. Where do you see the business confidence going from here? Is 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 there a is there a timeline that you guys are working to, or is there a, a you know a, a sort of view of of when investment and new senior roles may come round. yeah ha- very happy to have a conversation about that and, and i think um yeah do have a, a fairly i think hopefully well-informed view actually because of of you know sitting on a series of boards but also engaging with a range of companies as well uh, in a kind of slightly more advisory capacity i mean my, my view is as we sit here what is it the uh, 8th of june we're having this conversation mm-hmm. um Sadly, I think the hard yards for the professional services interests are still to come. Uh, I actually think that most organisations you know, carry a reasonable backlog of work and actually for the last 10 weeks or so have been burning a backlog. I think what most organisations, and there are a few exceptions, but what most organisations would acknowledge is that the kind of funnel and pipeline over that period, though, has significantly dried up. So as people burn backlog, mm. there is nothing to replace it with. So I think we're seeing a situation where people are on diminishing returns. Most organisations have taken advantage of you know, some aspect of government support, whether that's a furlough scheme or whatever. And at the moment, I think, and for the next few weeks, you can see a combination of kind of slightly dwindling or diminishing work, uh, you know, but being propped up by that kind of government support. I mean, what the government put it there to do, if we're honest. What I think is the hard yards for the consulting industry is as that support starts to unwind, actually there isn't the confidence in the, in the system and there isn't the pipeline, more importantly, to pick that work back up. So most organisations that I'm talking to have got varying timescales, but they're all pretty much calendar quarter four. No one's really talking about anything of any significance before October. And it's all about... Um, not, survival might not be quite the right word. That might be kind of overstating it, but it's all about trying to ensure kind of the maximum fitness of the organisation for kind of quarter four and beyond. Um, so, you know, if it is a case of, you know, 
mix my metaphor slightly, but if it is a case of bumping along the bottom until then, bumping along the bottom until then is kind of what people are, are doing uh, and I think will do. And, and there are one or two exceptions to the, to the norm. Um, and I think you know, your market orientation will play into that. So you know, organisations with a strong public sector, Ben, you know, there seems to be more work around, but actually quite a lot of that work uh, hasn't got a lot of money behind it. So, you know, yes, there's plenty to do, but there's plenty to do if you're prepared to kind of cut your prices. So that's quite a challenge for those in kind of public sector markets. If you're in kind of, you know, I don't know, pharmaceuticals or, you know, other high tech or whatever, you can see that, you know, there are some in-demand services for, from them. Um, and, you know, that's going to create both consulting opportunity and consulting opportunity you know, with 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 money behind it, quite honestly. Mm. Um, I think if you're allied to some of the other markets, you know, if you're retail or, or you know, even financial services, tough, life's going to be tougher at the moment and going to be tougher for a lot longer. You know, there might be some there might be some really tough gigs to do in those markets. Um, you know, but but actually the norm that keeps kind of professional services firms going and the more enjoyable and positive aspects of it i think are going to be thin on the ground for a while so it's a slightly pessimistic view of my apologies but but i do think it's a it's a pretty honest appraisal yeah i, I think that's all you can do is, is 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 you know appraise it honestly from your perspective and certainly my clients seem to be talking q4 and i got the sense that that really means probably q1 next year so on, on, yeah. on some occasions when they are saying q4 uh yeah that that uh that is a, a, a similar pattern I'm seeing. Um, one question I wanted to ask you, Rob, was: you know, you've obviously you know recruited a lot. H- have you ever had experiences of creating jobs for people, for, for talented people that maybe came to you through one means or another that weren't you know they weren't there for an open position, but that you you felt compelled to create a role? Yeah. Yeah, not not many, if I'm honest, uh, mm. but absolutely have done that. Um, and I think you know that's been a a mixture of circumstance. Uh, you know, sometimes it's about actually meeting people in your career uh, and thinking that actually you know this is someone that's special in some particular way, and you would like to create a role for them. Uh, maybe you can't do it immediately, but you'll do it over time and all of those sorts of things and, and absolutely have done that. The one that really stands out, though, is is uh, actually in in a recruitment process um, and, uh, and and probably not quite the way things are done these days. But and this will date it slightly. So this is probably talking 15 years ago when we were presented with a kind of quite formal shortlist um, and yeah, the formality of shortlist doesn't, doesn't seem to be quite there anymore. It's not the way that the industry works, certainly not the way I've experienced it you know, over the certainly last 10 or 12 years. Uh, but at that time, you know, it, it had been a, a retained search. Someone had, had done the, the, the work and came back to a, a shortlist for us. Uh, and the shortlist was presented at five or six, and then there was an extra candidate on the list. And that extra candidate was presented as a, uh, we met this person on the way, um, we think that they are exceptional, but they don't fit your recruitment brief at all. They're too senior, they're this, they're that, they're the other. But we couldn't not put them in front of you. And um, I remember kind of reading the CV and reading the kind of interview notes that went along with it and kind of agreeing, basically, and saying, uh, we want to interview this person. We, we don't have a job for that role, that grade, that skill set or whatever, but we want to meet them. 
And uh, I'm not quite sure how long it took, but you know, three, four, five months later, that person popped up in the business and we recruited them. And, you know, to this day, kind of one of the best recruits I made. Um, I can tell you what they're doing now. You know, they've gone on to do some great things um, and are now, you know, a, a board member uh, and a director of finance and resources for a very large organisation. Um uh, and have done, you know, had a fantastic career themselves. And now um, a director of finance and resources uh, for a, a large organisation, um, about a thousand permanent staff and and a large temporary workforce as well. Uh, and they've gone on and done great things. Yeah, it can work, can't it? And I think there's, you know, I think people have to be um, have to be sort of proactive in this job market. I guess that'll be the, the final question, really, Robin. I don't think you've had to find a job actually um, many times in your career. It sounds like you know you you you've quite a little while. No, <laughs> do you, do you know what you would do if you if you had to? What would, what would you do? Um, I think it would be about personally and you know with the support of someone like yourself actually marketing myself it wouldn't be about applying for jobs mm. um, it would be about you know creating the sort of almost the target list that I would want to uh, you know w- want to uh, either work for based around you know the company or based around people in that company you know I, actually one of the things that's always interested me is about you know, working with people that you want to work with you know it's back to that kind of team ethic that we had in avail and building groups of high performing people in high performing teams you know the delight of doing that is is great so you know actually it would really be about um you know working not only my network but you know but, but leveraging that network to work the network of others with a with a with a fairly clear plan in mind which is a sort of targeted plan around you know either a relatively small number of organizations or a or or a relatively small number of people that you know you would really want to kind of reassociate with reconnect with and and work with again um i think that's probably how i would go about it i think that sounds like a a very good plan actually and and one i would advocate rob look i really appreciate your time i don't want to take any more because you're 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 a busy guy but uh, thank you very very much for coming on really appreciate it no likewise thank you very much indeed for asking me Take care. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that was great to have so much time from Rob, uh, a guy who has built professional services businesses, sold professional service businesses, and has a really, I think, a deep knowledge of uh, of the sector and also how recruitment works within that sector. And, and it's it's familiar in others, actually. Um, it is the sector I work in most, but um, to be honest, as I say in the course, Actually, recruitment's very similar uh, the world over and in different industries as well. It's it's very, very similar. So what he um, talked about in terms of recruitment process, I think, uh, holds true in many other industries. Um, I also thought for a man who hasn't made many career moves, he had a, a very good, actionable plan if he were to ever need to go out and find another role uh, in terms of uh, looking at uh, a group of target companies and attacking that list. It's certainly something I've, I advocate. And if it's a um, a method that you would be keen to understand better, um, I would suggest that you have a look at my course because it's uh, it really is based around that. Um, uh, it is also a course that um, 
that will help you in the interview process to get your career narrative out and to to uh, really put your DNA across in the way that um, that Rob suggested. And you can find that at www.careermovesecrets.com. The course is currently um, two hundred and ninety nine dollars. Um, and that is a lifetime access to the course. It's all video based online. Uh, there are handouts for each and every um, secret in there. There's 20 secrets in total. It really is uh, absolutely brilliant. So I would recommend that you buy that. Um, and if you are enjoying this podcast, indeed, consider subscribing because there will be more Career Move Secrets podcasts coming very soon. 